Amen. Thanks, Mel. Good morning, Grace Hill. How are you? It's uh, good to see you guys. Last week I was out. I was preaching at a, uh, a camp down in Georgia, and um, I preached five times in three days. And every single time I got up to preach, uh, I looked up and I realized I don't know anybody out there. And so it's a joy to be here with you because I look up and I know you all. And that's, uh, and that's great. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill. So if you're new, I would love to be able to meet you uh, after the service. And uh, those of you going to the table today, excited to get lunch with you uh, afterwards as well, our last one together. So I'm looking forward to that. Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead, open that up to two places, if you would, Exodus chapter 20 and Ephesians chapter 6. So one's going to be all the way to your left in the Old Testament, and one's going to be all the way to your right in the middle of the New Testament. But get your finger in Exodus chapter 20 and Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be kind of flipping back and forth between those two passages. We're going to be continuing in a sermon series we've been in this summer called For Your Joy uh, on the Ten Commandments. And uh, we're on commandment number five today. Um, which is going to be uh, honor your father and mother. Now, let me say this before we dive into the text and see what it has to say and try to interpret it and all of that. Um, as I was studying this week, actually, this is when I decided to do the Ten Commandments. I kind of marked this Sunday as um, a Sunday that I thought would be especially complex. Um, and here's why. I stand up here, and I'm not just saying that, saying this because these two people are in the room today. Um, I, I stand up here as someone who, have, who has parents that are very easy to honor. Um, I, I stand up here as someone who has parents that raised my brother and I in the Lord, were easy to relate with close with today, enjoy their company, and it's just really easy for me to honor them. They're not perfect, but they're really easy to honor. And I know, and I'm, I, I know specifically, you know, I'm not just guessing, like I know that that's not the story of many people in this room, that we kind of are all over the place in regards to our relationship with our parents. Some of us have lost parents some of us have very tumultuous relationship with our parents. Some of us have had abusive parents. Some of us have had semi-great, semi-not-great kind of. We're all over that spectrum. And I just want you to know I'm, I'm completely aware of that complexity. And you guys know me. Whenever there's something tense or complex, I kind of like to run straight into it. Um, and so we're going to deal with that complexity today um, as we move forward. But I'm also really aware of the fact that I've got about 35 minutes um, to try and address a big piece of that complexity, which is inadequate. So I also want to say, and I'll mention this later, that um, as we dig into this command and what it means for all of us, not just for those of us who um, have parents, which is all of us, or parent figures, but all of us who also are parents, and we're thinking about, are we people um, who are easy to honor? 
And so anyway, all that to say, our elders are always available to you. Myself, our two past, other uh, staff pastors, Evan and Nick, and our other elders are always available to you. If we ever dig into something and you need to process more, and I just want to make that really clear because we only have a limited time this morning. All right, so here's where we're going to go. We're going to study this passage in Exodus 20. I've got three major points that I want us to consider in this passage, and then we'll ask some questions um, in response uh, to that. So if you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 20, just going to read verse 12. This is the fifth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And flip on over there to Ephesians chapter 6, because in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul is going to repeat this command. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. And, and we're lucky today because it's always great when the New Testament quotes the Old and gives some commentary on it. That always helps me because then I know that's what the, it's what the, how we're supposed to teach it. Uh, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's a quote right out of Exodus 20. But Paul says this, this is the first commandment with a promise attached to it. And that is, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, if you remember, as we've been digging through these commandments, uh, one of the things we said is the first three commandments, okay, that, uh, of the ten, all have to do with our view of God. All right, so commandment number one is really asking the question, do we trust God? Do we allow God to play the role of God in our lives, or do we rather, would we rather trust ourselves with the role of God, right? The first commandment, you shall not have any other gods before me. This, the second commandment has everything to do with, do we desire to kind of craft for ourselves God in a different image than what maybe the scriptures give us? Would I rather create a new God for myself that kind of, you know, affirms my desires and affirms the things that I want and does the things that I want him to do versus honoring and following and submitting to the God of uh, the Bible? That's the second commandment. The third commandment is really asking the question, do we use God for our own purposes Right? It says, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't attach God's name to things that God wouldn't attach his name to. And so these first three commandments have all to do with this question. Are we okay with God being God? Or would we rather God be different? That, that's really the question we are trying to tackle in commandments one to three. Uh, but then commandments four to seven. All right, or sorry, four to ten, the, the final seven commandments. Um, the thing that we're really asking is this Are we good being human? Are we good being God's creation? Are we good being people who are underneath God's authority? Are we good living in the way that God has said, This is what is best for you? Are we good being created? beings that have a creator who really knows what is best for us. That's why we've entitled this series, For Your Joy, because I believe that all of God's commands are for your joy, and that his commands are his good news to us of, hey, here's how to live your life that's going to allow you to flourish. This is for your joy. And so the question we're asking with these final seven commands is, are we good being in that kind of relationship with God? He's creator, we're created. He's God, 
we're human. And so we look to him for how we should live. And so the fourth commandment, this was two weeks ago, was the Sabbath day that you should rest. We're asking the question, hey, God designed us and our bodies to need rest once a week. He's the one who created us. He's allowed to make that decision. Are we good with that? Are we good being human? And then today we're in the fifth commandment. And so this leads to my first major point. So I've got three major points in this commandment. Here's my first major point on the fifth commandment. That's this, point number one. To be human means to be under authority. To be human means to be under authority. Yes, the fifth commandment is specifically dealing with this idea of honoring your father and mother, recognizing the authority that they have over you, especially as a child. But one of the things you have to understand about all of the Ten Commandments is that we don't just interpret the Ten Commandments on the, the only by the specific thing that that command is addressing. Right? If you've noticed, we've kind of been looking at the command and taking a step back and asking, what does this say about my heart that God has to give me this specific command, right? This is what uh, we call the rule of categories, that we're not just looking at the specific command, we're looking at the category that this command is in. So for example, Jesus does this, and we'll talk more specifically about this in the coming weeks, because the sixth commandment, right? Next week will be, you should not murder. But Jesus is the one who says, hold on, that's what the law says, but I say to you, you shouldn't even hate your brother in your heart. Jesus is zooming back and looking at the whole category, the heart posture around the command. He does the same thing with the seventh commandment, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus zooms back and says, if you even have lust in your heart, then you've committed this command, uh, you've violated this command. So he's looking at the entire category. And so when we do that with the fifth commandment, one of the things that we see is that this is not just dealing with the idea of honoring our father and mother. This has to do with, are we good being humans, being people who are under authority? And this is historically how the church has interpreted this command. I'll give you a few examples. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, if you've never heard of that, that's okay, but it's a historic document. Question 64 asks the question, what is required in the fifth commandment? And they say, the fifth commandment requires preserving the honor and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, similar kind of document. Question 104, what does the God require in the fifth commandment? It says that I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. So when we look at the fifth commandment, one of the points I want us to see is that God has placed us by design under authority, and we have been called to obey that authority. And so with all of that context, I ask the question again, are you good being human? Because as humans, as created beings, God has placed us not just under his authority, but under the authority of other humans, like our parents 
and there's other examples. And are we good with that? I mean, this right here is like one of the primary debates going on in our culture. One of the primary debates kind of happening under the surface right now. Our culture is increasingly going in a direction that wants to say that there is no one, there's no God, no divine being, no institution, no other person that has the right to dictate to you what is moral, what is good, what is right, or any sort of authority, right? Our culture wants to say that actually we can look within ourselves, that no one external to us can dictate any sort of authority or morality. And so what we do is we look into ourselves to discover what is our morality, what is our truth, what kind of authority can I exert, but for anyone to say that they can dictate to us externally what is good, right, and true, or any sort of authority. Our culture is increasingly going in the direction of saying that is actually a violent act towards that person. But that is not God's System. That is not the way that God created us as humanity. And so, for example, if you went to Ephesians chapter 6, as we just read, Paul, he said there that this is the first command with a promise attached to it. Right? And if in Exodus 20, right, we just read it together, what was that promise there in verse 12? It was, you know, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you, right? And so what we see here is that there is a promise attached to this command that your life will be long if you honor the authority that is over you, because this is the way that God has created us and where we live, that there are proper authority structures that is for our good and it's for the longevity of our life. All right, so there's a practical side to this, right? I mean, especially if you're a parent and if you have little kids, your authority and them submitting to that literally will save their life, right? If you've ever had toddlers, you know that your authority has saved the life of your child, right? So there's a practical side to understanding that as human beings, we have limitations, right? We, we, we don't always make the best decisions. It's good if we look to other people who've gone before us, know better than us, and give them authority over our lives. But there's also a spiritual side to this. And the spiritual side is when we decide, no, I'm not going to accept authority from anybody else, what we're actually doing right there is we're breaking the first commandment. Because we're saying, God, I don't want you to be my God in the way you created this place. I want to be my own God. This is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They said, huh, the, 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 the serpent kind of gave them some things to think about. And they said, you know what? I'd rather not follow God's word. I'd rather not be under his authority. I'd rather not be constrained by his commands. I'd rather make those decisions for myself. It said that uh, Eve was, was kind of tempted by this idea of equality with God versus being under God. And so obviously that descended the whole world into the fall and brought death into creation. And so what we see here is that God has created authority structures in our lives that we might thrive for our joy and for our good. And there's lots of examples of that. And so the obvious example is 
God, uh, the first kind of authority we ever experience is our parents, our, our mother and our father. That is an authority that God has placed over us. And, and as children, as teenagers, we are called to obey our parents and their instruction over us. And then as adults, we're called to honor our parents and revere them and revere the fact that they've gone before us and allow them to have that place in our lives. And we'll talk more about what that looks like a little bit later. But Proverbs 1.8 says, hear my son, your father's instructions and forsake not your mother's teaching. That's the first kind of authority we experience. But we see all other kinds of authority structures, right? Our employer is and authority in our lives. You know, we are just in Ephesians 6. So verse 5 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And so we can interpret that more to today that if you have an employer, if you have a boss or, or someone that you work for, that that is an authority structure in your life. And you're called to honor that authority structure and follow it as well. And so that's another one. Uh, governing authorities, right? Gets a little bit muddier here, but governing authorities, right? Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Look at this, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so God has put governing authorities in place in order to create laws and create peace and allow people to flourish. The Bible talks about obeying your church leaders. Feeling a little, little weird talking about this one, right? Romans chapter 13, verse 17, talking about church leaders saying, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And so the church is called to look to the leaders of the church and see them as a kind of authority structure, that are called to, to lead, and we're supposed to follow their lead in that. I, one last one I'll give to you. This is interesting. We have authority over one another. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Even within the church, there's a kind of authority that we give our brothers and sisters in Christ as we all band together to follow Jesus and say, let's help each other follow Jesus, and reach our neighbors. And so we give each other a kind of authority as we invite each other into our lives as we seek to follow Christ. All right, so this is point number one. To be human means to be under authority. And, and we have a culture that wants to buck against that, but this is God's design. Now, I know that leaves a ton of questions. So point number two is this. We must wield our authority honorably. We must wield our authority honorably. I want to take a moment and talk to those of us who are parents, to those of us who do have authority over others. Maybe you manage people at work. Maybe you're a parent figure to people, a teacher with students in the classroom. There's lots of ways that we can be in positions of authority. And maybe in the future, you'll be in a position of authority. And we are called to wield our authority honorably. Did you catch what we read in Romans chapter 13, verse 1? The last half of that verse said this, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. 
The reason why we are called to wield our authority honorably is because we have delegated authority. We do not have authority within ourselves. There's not one of us, not, not even if you're a parent of a child, not even if you worked your way up in your company and now you're a boss and you have people underneath you, you do not have inherent authority within yourself. Any authority you have in any context is a delegated authority from God. And so as followers of Jesus, whenever we exercise authority, we are exercising God's authority. And therefore, God cares very much about how we do that. And he cares very deeply that when we exercise that authority, we are doing it in a way that accurately represents him and his character. Because all authority is delegated authority. In Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 1, again, I'll read it, where it says, Children, obey your parents. Interesting. And then it says, In the Lord, for this is right. And I think here what we have in, in verse one is a, a, a kind of an example of delegated authority, a hierarchy of authority. It's, it's almost as if, think about like a child is honoring and obeying a parent, but that parent is in the Lord, right? And so there's almost this sense of you're obeying them because there's a sense through which that parent's authority has been delegated to them from God. And so that places a responsibility on the child to obey their parent because it's as if they're obeying the Lord. But at the same time, it places a responsibility on the parent to understand that they are parenting in the Lord, that they are exercising authority in the Lord. And that when they exercise authority, they are doing so on behalf of God. And so here's the thing. When we read scripture cover to cover, one of the things that is so clear is that God, God cares so much about power structures and authority structures. Kind of the same thing, right? And God cares very much that the way of his kingdom becomes the way of his people. And so in the way of the kingdom, this is how power works. This is how authority works. Those who have it, those who have been given power over others, those who have been given authority over others, they always use that power and authority for the flourishing of those underneath. They never use it for their own gain. And so in a sense, here's the thing, any of us who have authority, we should in some sense be shaken in our knee, at our knees because this is a weighty thing that we would, we would exercise delegated authority from God and then be called to use that in a way that represents God. And when we look at scripture, the example God gives is actually authority structures and power structures laying their lives down so those under their authority may live and thrive. Isn't this the gospel? That Jesus Christ himself, whom the Bible says has been given all authority over heaven and earth, Matthew 28, right? So he has all of it came put on human flesh, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And if you look at the way that Jesus, as he was, when he was here in the flesh, as he dealt with people, as he dealt with sinners, he did so gently. And he did so in exercising his authority. And so whenever we use authority in any context, we must do so thoughtfully because we're doing so in the Lord. I mean, and that's any authority structure. So of course, parents, but at work, you are called to use your position of authority at work for the good of those underneath you, not for your advancement. And here's a funny thing. If you let the people underneath you flourish, you'll advance. Right? Church, I brought up church leaders. Church leaders, we are called and we're gonna be held to an account by God himself that we used our authority honorably for the good of those underneath us and not for selfish gain, right? So any authority structure, this is the call. But I do wanna say a couple of things right here to parents in the room, future parents, um, this is actually applicable to any leader in any position of any authority, you know, teacher in the classroom, whatever it is, but I, to parents. I really believe that the most honorable way that you can wield God's authority in raising your children is by being an obviously repentant person. I'm gonna say that again, and we're gonna unpack this. I believe that the most honorable way that you can wield God's authority in raising your children is by being an obviously repentant person. And here's what I mean by repentant. Someone who's repentant. Someone who's repentant is someone who is willing to do the work of self-evaluation. How am I wielding God's authority, Right? Someone who's repentant is someone who has the humility to receive criticism from others, including your children, no matter how old they are. Someone who's repentant is someone who understands they are so capable of abusing God's authority and that they're not threatened by the reality that they could do something wrong. So that's repentance. It's just this kind of humility. And then a repentance person, right, is in someone who's willing to sincerely and publicly admit when they've abused God's authority and seek forgiveness for that. So that's what I mean by just being a repentant person. Like I am, I understand I have a view of myself that I am completely capable of doing that. I'm open to hearing when I have because I know I can be blind to it. And when I realize that I have, I openly, sincerely, publicly go and try to seek forgiveness for that. That's what I mean by being a repentant person. And here's why I'm pushing this. I think that you being a repentant person, you being a repentant parent, you being a repentant leader. So this goes for the workplace, by the way. I believe that that is the most powerful discipleship tool you have in your arsenal in raising your kids. You being a repentant person is the most powerful discipleship tool you have in your arsenal in raising your kids, right? Because this is what's going to form your kids, mold and shape their view of God and mold and shape their view of you. Because here, here's why. If you're a repentant person, especially as a parent, and that's, a, that's something that happens often towards your kids is repentance. Here's what I know about you. 
What I know about you is I know that you're someone under authority and that you accept God's authority over your life and other authority structures in your life. And you yourself aren't going the way of Eve in the garden and saying, no, I want it to go only my way. Here's what I also know about you. I know that you believe the gospel and that the gospel has set you free to admit weakness, to receive the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross and allow him to continue to grow your heart. So if you're a repentant person, that's what I, want to, that's what I know about you. But here's what your child sees if you're a repentant person. Here's what your child sees. Your child sees that your authority is actually delegated from God's authority and that you actually take that seriously, that you're about their good, you're about their flourishing, that you're not just about yourself. Your child will see that. Your child is also going to see that it's okay to admit when you're wrong and to seek forgiveness. They're going to see that the gospel is real, that you actually believe it. Because if they have a parent who can't ask for forgiveness, and if they have a parent who can never be wrong, then you're going to form and shape them to be someone who can never be wrong. And you're going to form and shape them to be someone who is afraid to admit when they need help. And also, here's what your child's going to see. Your child's going to see is that your relationship with them is anchored into something so, more, so much more stable than performance. It's anchored in an actual love for them. So as a repentant person, you see how this is forming and shaping your child. They're seeing the gospel at work and at play. And so here's how it forms and shapes your child. It shows them how to use authority in service of others instead of selfishly and that the gospel is actually relevant to their life and not a fun religious story they heard at church. Like your child needs to see the gospel do work in your heart and in your home and needs to see it take ruptured relationships and repair them back together. And as your child sees that happen, they're being formed into shape into someone who believes that the gospel is real. But if that thing doesn't happen, if, if the gospel isn't taking ruptured relationships and repairing them, if they're not seeing you repent of your sin, then you're going to form and shape them. The, the, the gospel is kind of a theory out here, but it doesn't have real life implication for my life. So this is the most powerful discipleship tool that you have in your home. You can try and disciple your kids by ma making them memorize scripture. You can bring them to church every Sunday. You can read the Bible every day. You can say grace before every single meal. You can talk all about Bible studies and you can shelter them from every bad thing in the world. But if you don't repent in their presence and ask for their forgiveness because you trust Jesus, then you're not going to form them into people who trust Jesus. Because the gospel's real and they need to see it work itself out in reality in your home. So all those other things of discipleship are incredible ways to form your kids. But when they see the gospel work itself out in your home, then everything starts to come together for them but they gotta see it reign and rule in your heart and they see it through your humility and repentance. And so parents, let me just, let me just set you free here for a second. I, really, I, I just pray that there's someone in here that needs to hear this. Your child would much rather have a repentant parent than a perfect parent. 
I've sat with so many people who have been so hurt through their relationship with their parents. And I've asked them this question. I ask them this all the time. Hey, let me ask you, what would you rather have? Mom and dad that never screwed up or a mom and dad that when they messed up, they were willing to come to you and say, hey, I messed up. And that was wrong for mommy to do that. That was wrong for daddy to do that. I need your forgiveness. And I need to do better. Which one would you rather have? And every single time, it's like, oh man, the latter. Because your child can relate with repentance. They can't relate with perfection. You know? Repentance is more comforting. It, it, it gives them a, 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 an outlook. It, it, that, that relationship that's been broken can be repaired through the cross. So your child doesn't need a perfect parent. They need a repentant one. And man, what a powerful discipleship tool that is in your home. So that's point two. We need to wield our authority honorably. And I believe that we do that best when we're obviously repentant people who trust in Jesus. And here's my third point. Point number three is this. Honoring, honoring doesn't mean we sweep abuse under the rug. Honoring does not mean we sweep abuse under the rug. It's interesting in Exodus 20, the Hebrew word for honor there, honor your father and mother, is the Hebrew word kavod. And that's the word for glory. It's also the word for weight. Right? So the, the illustration, it, Hebrew is a very you know, illustrative language. And so the illustration is that when, when someone is when you glorify someone, like I'm going to glorify God or I'm going to honor God, right? It's like recognizing the weight of that person, right? So it's like, you know, I, I can honor the office of the presidency of the United States because I realize that, man, that office holds a whole lot of weight. You, you know what I'm saying? So just honor your father, mother, understand the weighty position they are in, in your life. And so yes, respect that. And as a child, obey that. But there are many times that our parents or other authority figures in our life abuse their authority. And I'm gonna use this word abuse, and I know that that's a complicated word, but I'm gonna use it in this way, that all of our authority given to us is from God, it's delegated. So whenever we use authority in a way that God wouldn't use it like that, then we're abusing God's authority. And we're abusing our authority. And so to honor our parents means to recognize the weight that they have in our life. Yes, respect that, but also to understand this, that if our parents abused their authority in our life, then that's a weighty, impactful, traumatic, and formative thing in your life that has shaped you. And one of the ways that we can honor our father and our mother is by coming to a full understanding of how they have impacted us. And so honoring doesn't mean that we ignore that abuse and allow that abuse to live on in our lives, whether it's through our bitterness or through our pain and hurt, or maybe even through repeating the same patterns with our kids. And so honoring doesn't mean we just pretend everything is great. Honoring doesn't mean we sweep everything under the rug. 
It means we respect the position that our parents have in our lives, and we recognize the weight of their influence in their life. It is not immature. It is not weak. It is not psychobabble. It is not secular to do the hard work of recognizing how your parents have formed and shaped you, both for the good and for the bad. Because the abuse of God's authority is a serious thing that God takes seriously and you can take it seriously too. And so here's what I'm gonna say. This is where I gotta stop and say, listen, I don't have time today. I'm already out of time to go more into this And and one of the reasons for that as well, I don't want to from the stage. And so if you're in a place where you're going, man, my relationship with my parents is complicated and there's a lot there. I mean, man, it's just a ball up inside of me and I don't know how to start to untangle that. Like we wanna help you. We wanna be a listening ear for you, okay? And I, I can't stand up here and talk through every scenario. And so please like reach out to us. We're available in that. But as we just close our time here together, I realize, and Ben, if you guys wanna come on up, you can. I, I realize that with these three points that we went through, it, it may have hit different people in the room in different ways, You know, maybe you're in the room here today and you're going, man, I'm just feeling the weight right now of my position as a parent or an authority figure and how maybe I've abused that. Or maybe you're sitting here and yes, your relationship with your parents has been hard and you're trying to figure out how to navigate that and what does honoring even look like? Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're in a spot where you go, man, I don't know if I've ever allowed myself to humble myself and repent before my kids. And maybe that's the exact thing that God is calling me to do. I don't know where you are this morning, but I just want us to have a space. Took my sermon notes away. I want to have, no, it's fine. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need them anymore. Um, I was about to look at them. I was just like, what is this? You know, I want us to have the space this morning to respond in the way that we need. And as you know, as we've been going through these five commands so far, at the end of each time, we've just asked three questions. And I wanna encourage you to ask the same questions this morning. And these are questions that you can ask right now, just in the quiet of your heart, but I encourage you, they'll be more effective questions if you ask them with a trusted friend or someone else. Just ask the question, God, what's going on inside of me? When I think about the fifth command, I think about honoring my father and mother and other authority and the dynamics of all that. What's going on inside of me? Is there something that I need to confess? Is there something that I need to begin to let go of? Is there something that I need to begin to talk about and seek counsel and help from others? I don't know what it is, but what's going on inside of me? And then ask the question, what does God's word say about that? And what does it look like to take a step of faith in that? And so this morning, here's, here's what we're going to do. Like we've done every single time uh, during this series is I just want to give us space to respond and I want to invite you forward to do that in whatever way that's best for you. As you see, we have the communion table before us. And at this table, we see the place where ruptured relationships are repaired. At this table, we see where our relationship with God was repaired. We had sinned against him. We had rebelled against God. And he sent his son, Jesus, to come and save us, 
to go to the cross, to forgive our sins, to, to allow his body to be broken so that we wouldn't have to face God's anger and wrath against our sin, to allow his blood to be shed so that we could be cleansed from our sin. At this table is where your relationship with God is repaired. And at this table, we find the space where we can begin to repair our relationships with others. Because this table makes it safe to repent. And this table makes it safe to admit weakness. And this table makes confession safe. And this table makes forgiveness safe. And so no matter where you are this morning, whether you just feel you need to confess some things to the Lord or maybe even confess some things to another person, I just invite you to come to the table and experience the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you need prayer, I invite you to come. There's steps up here. Kneel at the steps, and we love to pray with you. We just pray silently over you, no matter where you are. But this will just be a space for you to respond in whatever way you need to this morning. So what I'm going to do is pray right now, and then we'll just have some space and invite you forward to the table to pray uh, or whatever you need. Let's pray. God, we're just thankful that you're after our joy. And God, we're thankful that you give us the example of how to use authority because you use your authority that we may live. You use your authority to lift us up. You use your authority to save us. And so God, I pray that in all of our relationships, we would follow after that example. That as we receive your love, vertically, we would then go and love others horizontally in the same way. But God, I just want to pray for those in the room who have a really complicated relationship with their parents. God, it's so weighty. There's so much guilt wrapped into it and shame wrapped up into it and fear wrapped up into it and just seems like the easiest thing to do is just to stuff it away, sweep it under the rug, try to just go and live our life and ignore it. And God, our parents play a far weightier place in our lives, far too much that it allows us just to sweep it under the rug. And so Lord, I pray for those folks that you would help them to begin to take steps to talk about it, to get wise and godly counsel and love and care from their church family and others, and that, Lord, you would bring them on the road to healing. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that at this table, we find the place where ruptured relationships can be repaired. In Christ's name.